Hi, I'm Scott Lacey, and this is Talking Documentary. We love Bill Murray. We've known that for a long time. What we didn't know until recently is that Bill Murray loves us right back. The internet is awash in these quote-unquote Bill Murray stories. The time he crashed a bachelor party and delivered a speech. The time he wandered by a kickball game and asked to sub in. The time he got invited to a young woman's house party and wrapped up the evening by doing her dishes. These Bill Murray stories go on and on, each one stranger than the last. But are they true? Filmmaker Tommy Avalone decided to find out. Avalone traveled to two continents to interview everyday people whose lives have been touched by Murray. Along the way, Avalone learned a lot more about the man himself, including his philosophy on life and why he does what he does. All of these strands come together in Avalone's 2018 film, The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. It's an entertaining exploration of Murray and a surprisingly reflective one. Bill Murray, it turns out, is more than a charismatic prankster. On the day he joined me, Avalone was in the midst of a self-described very bad day, but he rallied himself for you and for me. Well, welcome, Tommy. Thank you for uh, joining me today. No problem. Thanks, Scott. So uh, I'm curious, when did you first realize that uh, these Bill Murray stories actually added up to something more than just a collection of cultural trivia? My friend Brian, is uh, is the blue meanie. He's a, I, I love... Sh- talking about professional wrestling. Uh, he, uh, he told me the first story that I heard was the, the dishwashing story, you know? No, I'm sorry. He told me about the hands over the eyes in the bathroom story. You know, no one will ever believe you. Uh, and then I think I heard about the karaoke and the, the, the going to a party and doing the dishes. And I was like, these are just so weird. You know, I would love to do a documentary. And I always thought it would be interesting if we did a documentary like a Bigfoot documentary on the stories, not so much Bill Murray being the Bigfoot, but the the stories themselves being the Bigfoot. Um, and I, uh, I, I'd never really know how to make a movie until I'm making it. So it was, it was just really like most people when they read a Bill Murray story, there's years in between them. You know, when I was just starting to read them over and over and over, you just kind of saw some of these patterns of living in the moment, being present and, you know, the word available. You know, I, I just knew I wanted to grab these stories. You know, I, I like, you know, when I called that Bill Murray 1-800 number, I was never trying to do a sit down interview with them, you know, because if we we're trying to do a Bigfoot documentary, there's no good Bigfoot documentary at the end. Like you sit down with Bigfoot and go, so what's with the woods? You know, there's no, it kind of destroys all the magic and the wonder. So we always wanted to keep some of that stuff alive. So when I was calling, it was just like different ways to involve him in the movie. We were trying to like, at least just talk to him on the phone. And when we had that encounter at um, in South Carolina, the Charleston game, and I took that picture, I was like, you know, I feel like I could really frame the movie around this because like I wanted to... I wanted to make sure people weren't... It wasn't like my date with Drew or like, you know, one of those movies that... I'm after a celebrity and will he or won't he get him? Like, I wanted you to see that I I'm here with Bill Murray. So don't, this is not that movie. So for the benefit of people who haven't seen the film and maybe aren't familiar with this whole phenomenon, can you give us a dichotomy of the typical Bill Murray story? Well, I mean, the idea is you're at an event, something is happening that's mundane or normal. And then suddenly Bill Murray pops into it. And the more um, made up ones will say Bill Murray will do some things that no one will ever believe you. 
but these stories of Bill Murray coming to your karaoke and sing karaoke with you, uh, going to your party and doing the dishes, uh, being at your bachelor party. Um, you know, you just, it's, it's Bill doing these weird sort of things and doing something normal, but just kind of like having as much fun as you are because he's just enjoying being normal. He's enjoying the adventure that is, is happening. You know, he's not dictating any of that stuff. He's just kind of, yes, ending you know, his life. Yes, end is like this like thing in improv. It's like when you're on stage, you can't say no to something because that shuts it down. You have to yes, end, you know. Believe it or not, that's made it to corporate America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read the Yes, End book where and they, they do these like improv, um, you know, improv, Yes, End. Uh, what would you call it? Yeah, corporate events. It's, it's crazy. So I'm curious about Bill himself kind of zooming out. I, I happened to Google Bill Murray, Charleston, just out of curiosity. First five results were where to find Bill Murray, almost like <laughs> where to find your find sushi in Charleston. What is it about Bill Murray that inspires that kind of curiosity? Um, you know, I think it's those, those, um, those Hal Ramuses, those John Belushi's, uh, those, those sort of people who came out of Second City at that time. I think it starts with Del Close and Del Close was a very, uh, improv off the stage sort of person. There's a lot of the, these guys or these people, Gilda Radner's there. It was the teacher of all these people that came from second city is Del Close. And if you start, there's a great documentary called thank you, Del Close. And it kind of gets into that, you know, the UCB really kind of took over some of his sort of mantra as well. I think it starts there, you know? Um, but then, uh, he did this movie called razor's edge. That was very much in that sort of mindset of just kind of like, you know, it just doesn't matter. Um, and when that movie bombed and Ghostbusters, like it was, he made Razor's Edge and then made Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters came out with a huge success and Razor's Edge bombed. He went to France for, for a while and just studied philosophy. There's this one philosopher, uh, G.I. Gurdjieff, who would do a lot of things to kind of wake people up. He was the, the trickster god of some kind. You know, um, Howard Ramis was quoted at one point saying like, you know, there's a lot of, Gurdjieff and Bill Murray. So I think it was a lot of that sort of stuff, like studying that sort of philosophy, the Gurdjieff uh, and Del Close. It was all kind of that. I mean, you look at those people. I mean, Belushi was the same way. You know, when they're talking, they're making Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd would have to go house by house and be like, have you seen John? Have you seen John? You know, and they're like, oh yeah, he's in the back sleeping on the couch. You know, that was just the way I think a lot of those people were. You had to track down a lot of people from these stories on the internet were they hard to find and were they eager to participate? For the most part, they were, yeah, they would, there was like maybe one, one uh, story that just didn't want to be involved and they just didn't want their name to keep coming up on the <laughs> stories. Uh, but other than that, everyone was definitely down to be involved. But yeah, I mean like, you know, if you play kickball with Bill Murray, you don't have a manager or an agent or a PR person just like Bill Murray. So trying to find some of these people was a little difficult. Uh, Facebook at the time was my way to go. But like during that time of Facebook, you couldn't just message someone. It would go to their other folder. Um, so I had to go through like their friends and find someone. Like, you had to have a mutual friend uh, for your message to go to that person. So I would go through these people's friends and like try to find like that band or that comedian or that someone that they follow that just accepts anyone. Uh, so I could have a mutual friend and reach out to that person. So it was a lot of the just like 
time consuming, but it was a lot of fun. I, I, I love playing detective. Tell me more about the history of the 800 number because it's kind of central to the kind of the Bill Murray brand, if you will. How did you find out about it and how did that work out? It comes with its own lore. You know, it's like, oh, the, the 1-800 number. Uh, you know, the dude who did uh, St. Vincent, he used the 1-800 number. Uh, or just you just hear all these stories of Bill having this 1-800 number. And sometimes you would have to drop a script at like a, a phone booth in like upstate New York. It was like, there's all these like crazy stories and majority of them are true. Uh, so I always thought it was going to be difficult to find that number. And it, and it was. Uh, and it's so funny, you know, with the movie coming out, how many people reach out to me asking for that number. Uh, and I just I just can't give it out. You know, I mean, I, the person who gave it to me, uh, I promised that I would never tell who it was and I would never, uh, you know, and also never give it out. He had an agent at CAA. He was a big, big person at CAA. He, he, but he eventually left. Someone else from CAA was assigned to Bill Murray and Bill didn't like it. Uh, and I think he just fired his agent and his manager uh, and just set this 1-800 number up. And that was really the only way he just worked when he wanted to work. While we were making the movie, he was saying that he was going to take the summer off. And you could tell because uh, at one point, the 1-800 number uh, was full. Uh, and then like I think it was like October or so, uh, you, could, you could start leaving messages again. So he must have like went through and deleted or listened to some of them and stuff. So in your heart of hearts, did you really hope to connect that way? Or did you feel like that was part of the hunt and part of the story? Yeah, I mean, like uh, a lot of people ask me, like, do you think Bill saw the movie, or do you, are you upset you never saw Bill? And what, that what you're right, like that wasn't that wasn't the movie I was trying to make, you know. So it, I mean, I'm a Bill Murray fan. I've been in the presence of Bill, uh, you know, maybe three times with different events, and there's definitely like this, like, oh my god, that's Bill Murray, like around him, uh, and it's pretty intense. You know, I'm happy with the way things turned out. I mean, Bill Murray was on one of those morning shows. They were asking him about the movie and they should like they had that quick picture of me and Bill Murray in there. And it was that was funny, you know. But yeah, I think it, it turned out the way it was supposed to turn out. This is a fun film and it's a funny film as well, but it winds up being surprisingly deep. I'm wondering, did that surprise you as you got a little deeper into it? No, I mean, you know, we like to make these sort of Trojan horse sort of movies, you know, uh, where you walk in with something fun or silly or zany uh, and but like you you leave with some sort of heart or or hey, I didn't think of that. You know, like my movie before this was I Am Santa Claus and it was kind of similar, you know, hey, what's it like when uh, you're Santa, you're, you know, you're a professional Santa, you look like Santa all year round. But what's it like when, you, you know, during the off season? And, you know, the movie gets into identity and community and all that sort of stuff. And the same thing with Bill Murray stories. You know, we we like to make these these movies that kind of like I love when people go, oh, I didn't see that coming. It's like, great. <laughs> you know, that's, then we kind of did our job. So it almost seems like people are changed by by the experience of interacting with Bill Murray, even if it's for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And that seems remarkable to me. It's almost like a little bit of what would Bill do? They they apply his philosophy to their lives going forward. Did, did that, did that seem like something you expected? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a magic in a real good story. You know, it's a story that, um, everyone just smiles when they tell it, you know, and they, um, you, and they just, you know, a party or a, a job interview and they go, what, what's that? What's one thing that's fun about you? They can always just drop down. Well, I, one time Bill Murray came to my house and ate lasagna in the kitchen. You know, it's like, it's just like this fun story thing. And I think then, then, you know, 
as people tell the story so many times and like have distance from it, you know, they're, they, they see the lesson there and just being like, you know, Bill's just, he's not walking around with an entourage. He's not, I mean, look, Bill's an imperfect person. We all are, you know, everyone does make mistakes and is not perfect all the time. But, um, and I, I think, I think it's in the, the movie, but if not, there's this great interview he did with uh, Charlie Rose where it's like, you know, he's trying, you know, he's plenty of times he's asleep at the wheel, but he does these things to kind of wake himself up, you know? And like, I think Bill, these things, he may not remember them all because, you know, he himself is the Bill Murray, but I think, you know, he does these things because he, he feels that electricity that comes off these people and it makes him feel a little bit more alive or a little less sleep, uh, asleep at the wheel. Yeah. I like the, there's a point in the film when he's recounting a story and he actually looks skyward and says, if you're available, if you make the connection, have you learned anything about Bill that explains kind of his philosophy, worldview, religious affiliation, if any? Just, you know, just reading some of the stuff from, um, the, the Gurdjieff, you know, I don't think there is a like checkbox for whatever his religion is. And if it is like, it's nothing that I came across or something I paid attention to. It was cause it's not really a religious thing. It's just, I think like a way to kind of live your life, you know? And, um, in that Charlie Rose interview with Bill Murray, you know, he said, you know, he tells his brothers all the time. It's like, this is not a dress rehearsal. You know, this is just, this is your life. You know, this is what you got to do, you know? And like, and I think he just knows that, especially with his roommate and one of his best friends, John Belushi, dying at such a young age, it's like you don't know how much time you have. So he just really tries to, to do the best he can with the time he has. I'm curious about you. You've got a couple of movies that you mentioned. One, This is Santa Claus. I believe that's the name. And the other I am one is, Santa Claus. I am Santa Claus. And the other one is uh, Waldo Does Weed. And I think they're one's more <laughs> Waldo comic- on Weed. Waldo on Weed. Okay, thank you. Uh, one's more so close. So close. To <laughs> so <all these>. close. <laughs> I just never get the prepositions right. Um, so one is a little bit more comical. One's a little bit more serious. And my question is, uh, as a documentary producer and director, like, what is it that attracts you to a story that makes you say, "I got to make that"? I guess it's like wonder, or the characters. You know, I mean, like with Santa Claus, me and my wife are just walking around the mall. And we're like, I wonder what family that guy goes home to, you know? And it was just like that question of like, I wonder what that's like looking like that and committing like that all year round, you know? And that was like the start of that movie. Uh, Bill Murray's stories was, this is, this is crazy. What, what, you know, why is he doing this? And then with Waldo, um, you know, which is a movie that's unlike majority of my stuff, because it is a little bit more serious, although there are funny characters and humorous parts to it. Well, as humorous as a documentary about a child with cancer could be. Um, you know, it was, I knew his friend, a uh, friend of mine, uh, Brian Dwyer. Uh, he had a pizza shop in Philly. Uh, I started talking to him. I was like, Hey, we should do something about pizza. He had this like place called pizza brain is the largest um, pizza memorabilia stuff around. And he had like all these like pizza records, pizza toys. It was, it was a cool spot. And I was like, oh, we should do something about pizza. And he's like, oh, actually, yeah, you know, my son has this cancer and we're, we're doing this. And he was kind of in the middle of it when we we're talking. And then like a little bit later, one thing led to another. And we, we kind of took all this footage that he was using as almost like his own therapy um, and, and made a documentary about it. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg was our executive producer, played at Tribeca. You know, it was a really interesting thing. At 2014, you know, his son has cancer at six months old and he lives in Philadelphia and has to illegally smuggle cannabis 
you know, mostly CBD, low, low THC, um, to, for his son to help us with his, with his cancer, you know, and Waldo, uh, is, is the name of his son and he's six now and he's, you know, perfectly fine. So, you know, no, no spoilers. I mean, that's, it's not one of those, will he live where he dies sort of movies. It's just what, what will a family do to save their son? So I've talked to documentarians that storyboard the entire thing from front to back. This seems like more of a movie that you may have just followed where it took you in the moment. Can you talk about just the, the mechanical process of making this film? You know, once we film everything, then yeah, we have the note cards and we're playing it around within, you know, act one, act two, act three, what's your, this, what's your, that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't start that way. You know, um, you know, you, you, you go less so like, what kind of Bill Murray stories can I find? Okay. I'm Googling, I'm YouTubing. I'm just like, have my ear out for people who are telling me Bill Murray stories and you're just kind of, you know, grabbing puzzle pieces. And eventually when you're editing it, cause I edit my own stuff, um, you know, seeing what kind of puzzle you made. There's some doc directors who don't edit their own stuff and, you know, more power to them. But to me, like, that's, that's where I feel like my strength comes in. Like, you know, it's like, I've asked the questions in my directing and, and, and picked all the people I wanted to talk to and have this idea or vision or whatever. Uh, but it's the editing that I can, you know, kind of make that story come together and make it all make sense. Cause the hardest thing for Bill Murray stories was like, how does this not feel like a series of vignettes, you know? And I, I'm not a person that really wanted to put himself in a documentary, but I knew, I knew going in, that was going to be the way to kind of have a through line, you know, uh, the thing that was going to bring these stories together to make sense where it wasn't just, you know, next clip on YouTube, you know? Can you explain kind of the process of how you bring a producer into a, a process like this? I'll give you a really long answer. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to make the Bill Murray stories after Santa Claus and I was living in New Jersey at the time. And I was like, all right, well, let's just film stuff. We know how to do everything ourselves. We have everything. So well, let's go to New York and get the karaoke guy and the kickball girl. And we interviewed an author of the, of the big bad book of Bill Murray. And there was a couple other things. And I just started piecing together this sort of sizzle to kind of show an idea of what I wanted to do with the film. And then in, I was like, oh, you know, when I was doing Santa Claus, uh, I was at New York Comic Con. I found these New York City Ghostbusters. Let me reach out to some of these Ghostbuster fans and then, you know, interview them. And in doing so, I found out there was a Ghostbusters fan documentary being made called Ghost Heads by this guy named Brendan Mertens in Canada. So uh, when I was about to interview the New Jersey Ghostbusters, I reached out to him. I was like, look, dude, I was like, if you have any questions for these guys i mean you're in canada i'm in new jersey i can interview these guys here and just send you the footage but uh if you you're probably going to get to dan Aykroyd and ivan reitman before i will could you ask some questions to them and then send me the footage like our idea was a sort of like this like indie film like footage swap you know um and that was the idea and then when i was interviewing one of these new, new jersey ghostbusters i found this guy named tom gebhardt and i was like oh this guy's an interesting character he's like one of our santa's I know how to tell this story. So I told Brendan, I was like, Hey man, uh, I could help produce this movie for you if you want to. And he's like, yeah, it was, he's actually a fan of the Santa Claus doc. So I kind of took a break from Bill Murray and started doing this Ghostbusters thing. And we did a Kickstarter and an Indiegogo for that. And some people put some money into it and we did well with it. Play a tri Tribeca 2016 it was on Netflix. Um, came out the same time as the Paul Feig Ghostbusters movie. 
And some of the people who invested in that were like, we really like how this turned out. Do you have anything next that you want to do? I was like, actually, I have the sizzle for the Bill Murray stories. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So it was just one of those things where like, I just kind of kept going. And, and then eventually Bill Murray stories happened. But in the same, same regard, like, you know, for Waldo and Weed, a uh, lot less of a fun story. If, if that was a fun story, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but like we had all this footage of Brian's family from this, this dad cam stuff he already had. Um, my producer, Lee Leshen, who uh, was my producer on Ghost Heads, because uh, I, didn't, I didn't direct Ghost Heads. I just produced it. Uh, Lee, Lee was like a cannabis fan. He's like, let me put this together as a, a, like a, a sizzle. So he had his, a friend of his put it together as a sizzle. And I'm rep by William Morris. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg was rep by William Morris. And we always thought Whoopi would be a good producer because she just understood that world of cannabis and had done documentaries and you know was super smart. So you know she's an EGOT winner. Uh, so it was one of those things where the agents kind of like sent it to her and she liked it and it, it kind of worked out that way. So it's, it's always, I guess, a different way of doing things. Is the producer's role necessary for a guy like you to get a film over the finish line? I, I like to think I know how to make a good movie, but I, I try to team up with an executive producer that helps me make a great movie, you know, and that's, that's the goal there always. And plus, like, you know, especially when my first documentary, I Am Santa Claus, you know, uh, it's, it's me who has never made a movie before, some like young punk from New Jersey. And one of the Santas is Mick Foley, a professional wrestler. Like, I just, I wanted to like, I feel like an executive producer like Morgan or, you know, in Waldo's case, Whoopi or Bill Murray's case, Glenn, it's always giving that sort of um, prestige to it. So I don't look like some dopey kid trying to make a movie. <laughs> How do the economics work? And I know I'm going a little bit down the rabbit hole, but I think for a lot of people, this is the kind of stuff they just have no idea. I've known some filmmakers that went out of pocket. Your film looked really good and there's some travel involved. So I'm wondering, how does that shake out for you? Um, well, the Santa Claus was a little bit of friends and family money and Kickstarter. Uh, Ghost Heads was Kickstarter. And then because of Ghost Heads, we came across Old Line Productions as uh, Raymond Esposito. And he's a, a producer that really believes in me. And uh, he's been able to finance the uh, a little bit of Ghost Heads, but all Bill Murray and mostly all of Waldo. It was one of those things where like, I don't necessarily believe in luck because it's, you know, but it was just like, we were just kept working and kept doing things and weren't waiting on anyone for anything. Uh, and eventually it just kind of lined up with the right person kind of believing in us. What's next for you? I, I know it's, you got the Waldo movie. I think that's in final production. Is that right? Uh, it's, it's out. It's, it's, I was just telling someone the other day, it's like, it's my sleeper movie. You know, it's like one of those things where, Bill Murray was so loud because, you know, Bill Murray's name's in it. Uh, but like, you know, put it this way, we, we played hot docs in Toronto with the Bill Murray stories. You know, we sold out three nights in a row, like 700 people in the audience. And I remember being there and thinking, my next movie is about a child with cancer. It's not going to be the same. <laughs> you know, like it's not... You know, it's never going to be like this ever again. You know, like we played in London and sold out every single night we were in London, sold out every single time in South by Southwest. You know, we had Bill Murray's name in the movie. Unless it's Bill Murray on weed, it's not going to be the same. Uh, Waldo on weed right now, it came out, I want to say, a in a month, it will have been a year ago it came out. 
but it played Tribeca 2019. Uh, it's right now it's on Amazon Prime, but you can also buy it on iTunes and all that sort of stuff. I think it's my best movie yet. It's just it's just a serious tone, and it's not like it's not like Dear Zachary where it's going to like bum you out. Like Dear Zachary is a fantastic movie, but like that's one of those docs that like stays with you for like a week. You're like, damn, you know, but like this, it's like, it's a movie about hope. So yeah. So I, I'm right now I'm actively filming uh, a documentary about famous houses, uh, like famous houses from TV shows and movies and the people who live in them. So like we've been to the full house house. Uh, we've talked to the original owners of the golden girls house, uh, Pee Wee's big adventure house, science, of the lambs house. So we've been to these houses and right now we're in that sort of like R and D moment where we're just like filming all these, these people who live in these crazy houses and the experiences that they kind of have. That's a cool concept. I've actually been to the house where uh, Ferris Bueller, where the car goes through the plate glass window. Oh, in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because film has a way of making things look so large and majestic. And you go there and it actually just looks like a little house tucked in the woods. I would walk past it 10 times and never recognize it if I didn't know it. Well, I'm going to Chicago in April to film like a bunch of Chicago spots. Uh, but like with that house in particular, like, isn't that the backyard? Like, how do you, how do you see that? Or am I wrong? Well, it was actually kind of a, an external building. It was like a garage. So you have the house and then the garage is kind of off to the side, but still you don't really see the glass part from the, the street. So really you just see like a little one story house tucked away in the woods. There's this one house. I mean, this is I'm sorry. There's one street in South Pasadena uh, it's called Bushnell Street and Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, like three Back to the Future houses, house from old school, house from 30 something, house from Ghost Dad. They're all on the same block within like, they're just like all neighbors. It's like the craziest thing. Like so many houses are in South Pasadena. But yeah, it's just like you're stepping into your favorite TV show or movie, you know, like especially like I'm not sure if you ever seen the movie Friday, but we were at Craig's house on Friday. But that whole block is Friday. They're like, oh, that's that's like, uh, you know, the, um, Fr- uh, Smokey's house. That's uh, Stanley's house. You know, that's Miss Parker's house. You know, I was like, this is crazy. You know, and people um, will will travel to this spot and just smoke weed on this this poor woman's porch. <laughs> I mean, like people like sneak in the backyard of the Wonder Years house to play basketball, like Kevin Arnold. Uh, there's this uh, the the Walter White house. There's this one scene in uh, Breaking Bad where Walter White throws a pizza on the roof, and they just they throw pizza on this woman's roof. But like when I was inside the Full House house, there wasn't a time when like people weren't just like coming up and staring into the window. It's 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 such an intense thing to live in. One and like this one house I was at. They, it was the inside for American Pie, outside for Can't Hardly Wait. The doorway was This Is Us. The kitchen was cheaper by the dozen. There's just so many different movies shot in this one particular spot. It's just like an older older couple, and they just live there, and it's in Altadena. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. You know, that pizza anecdote, I am dying to see this movie now. That's, I, <laughs> I cannot believe that people do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense, man. Uh, you know. Uh, since moving to California, like I would drive to so many spots, but that's as far as you go. You take your picture out front and you leave, you know, but like um, in the Friday house, uh, someone put their head in the window and yelled one of the lines, you know, it's like, it's, it's really this interesting theme of ownership. You know, obviously there, these people's names are on the deed, you know, but all the fans feel the need of ownership because they grew up with this, these, these images. So I'm dying to ask one last question about, the Bill Murray stories. Um, yeah. And if I could put you on the spot, now that you've made the film, 
What do you think that film tells you about human beings and human nature? I think it, it, it tells that we, um, we all just feel the need to connect, you know, whether you're this, uh, big, uh, movie star or, you know, some gnarly dude from Austin, Texas, you know, you're just, you kind of just always feel the need to connect, you know, and, and when you get a strong connection, uh, like, you know, that, oh, that, that was a great night. You know, it's just, it's something that really brings, brings you to life. You know, I mean, I told you, I was like trying to shake myself out of a bad mood because today I was like, just rushing around all that sort of stuff. But you know, it's like, but like when you see those sort of experiences happen, you can shake yourself out of whatever routine or uh, mood you have yourself into um, and kind of just re remember that like, oh, we're supposed to enjoy all this. <laughs> well, Tommy, it's, it's a really great movie. I actually saw it twice. The first time I kind of was just delighted by the, the whimsy of it. The second time I actually felt the depth of it. I, it just felt like there was a, a movie about life and about being present. And it was a really wonderful watch. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. You know, and that's, that's a great thing about talking to some of the people after they see it, like it really kind of connects with them. And uh, I mean, that's awesome. You know, it just, I remember one of my friends is like, Hey man, uh, you made something pretty positive. You should feel good about yourself. <laughs> Thanks to Tommy Avalone. His movie, The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man, can be seen for free on Tubi and Vudu. You can also rent it on Google Play and Fandango Now. A final note, I wound up watching one of Avalone's other films, Waldo on Weed. It is quirky and charming and wholly original. You can see it for free on Amazon Prime Video. See you next time.